Open your Bibles to Luke chapter 24. We finally get to the resurrection, which is the best part of the gospel story narrative. I mean, it's all really good. And the death is really good. The resurrection is beautiful. But this is when it starts to get happy again. For the last several weeks, we've been walking through the trial and crucifixion of Jesus. And that's rough to walk through because it's watching our Lord and Savior suffer. It's also been very uh, beautiful and profound as we've gone through. Now we come to the resurrection and I just want to tune your heart. We can often, as people who think theologically, get irritated with the humor of God in such a serious and somber moment. We can often find ourselves thinking that laughter is not allowed. And yet, I just want you to consider for a moment what the resurrection entailed. Death is done. And we can look at this and go very seriously and think incredibly theologically. And we can lock ourselves into the idea that there's no celebration allowed. Or we can do what Jesus does and what the angels do and what the people in the book of Revelation do at the end. And we can cheer and we can sing and we can laugh and we can feast. And why can we do that? Because death is no more. Sorrow is no more. Tears of sadness are no more. And if we would grasp that as a Christian community, as a faithful people, oh, our theology would not bring us somber and, and, and weighty all the time where you feel like you have to say it in deep breaths all the time but it would bring us joy like it does here at Sovereign Grace when we discuss theology, even when we're at different ends of the spectrum of it, when we discuss, and I say discuss, debate according to the world, but we're not debating because we all love Jesus. So we discuss and there's joy and there's fruit in that discussion. There's not nervousness and, and anxiousness of, oh no, they don't agree, or oh no, I have a different view on that text. There's rejoicing and life and searching the scripture together with joy and laughter and feasting on the word of God. So I just wanted to preface this entire thing with that first, because this passage brings me incredible joy and makes me want to laugh and to rejoice And to go, this world has nothing on us. No matter what happens to me. No matter what is done. We can rejoice and this is why. Death has been defeated. And Jesus lives. And he lives in us. So, let's read together. All that was just preface. That was not even in my notes. Let's go. Luke chapter 24. We're going to read. Verse 1 all the way through verse 35. It's 
a long passage, but let's go. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they went to the tomb, taking the spices that they had prepared, and they found the stone rolled away from the tomb. But when they went in, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. As they were frightened, and as they were frightened and bowed their faces to the ground, the men said to them, Why do you seek the living among the dead? He is not here, but he has risen. Remember how he told you while he was still in Galilee that the Son of Man must be delivered into the hands of sinful men and be crucified and on the third day rise? And they remembered his words. And returning from the tomb, they told all these things to the eleven and to all the rest. Now it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and other women with them who told these things to the apostles. But these words seemed to them an idle tale, and they did not believe them. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb, stooping and looking in. He saw the linen cloth by themselves, and he went home marveling at what had happened. That very day, two of them were going to a village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. And they were walking with each other and talking about all these things that had happened. While they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. But their eyes were kept from recognizing him. And he said to them, What is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? And they stood still looking sad. Then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him and said, Are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in there in these days. And they said to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deed and in word before God and all the people, and how our chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified. But we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things happened. Moreover, some women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels who said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but him they did not see and he said to them "O oh, foolish ones and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken was it not necessary that christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory and beginning with moses and all the prophets he interpreted to them in all scriptures the things concerning himself now so they drew, they drew near to the village to which they were going, and he acted as if he was going to go further. But they urged him strongly, saying, Stay with us, for it is towards evening, 
and the day is now far spent. So he went in and stayed with them. And when he was at the table with them, he took the bread and blessed it and broke it and gave it to them. And their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did not our hearts burn within us while he talked to us on the road and while he opened the scriptures? And they rose at the same hour and returned to Jerusalem. And they found the eleven And those who were with them gathered together, saying, The Lord has risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. Then they told what had happened on the road and how how he was known to them in the breaking of the bread. May God add his reading to the hearing. And may God add his blessing to the reading and the hearing of his word. So we have three sections here at the beginning. We've got the angels and the women. We've got the women and the disciples. And then we've got Peter. Then we have this fourth, this second story. So the first story has three sections. We've got this second story, which has two portions. The two guys walking on the road. And then the two guys with Jesus in the house. Well, I guess there's a third part, which is the conclusion, where they come back to the 11 to tell them what happened. Now, uh, you, you've got these scenes broken down like this, and it's, it's without Jesus and then with Jesus. Without Jesus and then with Jesus in both occasions. Now, as we go back to the first one, I want you just to think about what's going on. The, the ladies are coming as customary to the Jews. They're coming to anoint the body because the body is going to smell. And they're coming to anoint the body with oils and with spices and fragrances. Uh, Jewish custom, this was normal at the time uh, for somebody who was kept in a a tomb, in a a cave, right? This is normal. And he's got a very nice cave. It was given to him by a rich man. So he's not buried outside the, the town in Gehenna in the in the place where they just burned bodies and, and threw them out there. like He's not buried out there in the mass grave. He's not buried in the ground like we do today. He's buried in a cave. He gets put in this cave. So, so they can have access to him and they can go in and they can anoint the body. They can, they can make sure that it smells okay and they can come and they can remember the presence of God with them. They can remember death. Weird thing that we do in our culture, remembering death. Valuable, and every culture has their way of doing it. But we remember death. And we remember death when you're not a Christian. We remember death because it reminds us that we're all going to die. It reminds us that we have life right now. But for Christians, it's different. When we remember death as Christians, we are remembering that our life has a purpose. That life now has a purpose. And even in our death, God uses it for His glory and His purposes. So we remember death in that way. We remember death as Christians because we remember that death is a comma for us. It's a comma. And indeed, we're on the short half of the sentence. We're on the, the short part of the sentence. The sentence goes a lot longer after that comma for us. Think about it. Eternity is a really long time, right? And when we die, 
we go to eternal life. This is the short part. This is the introduction. And if you want to learn more about the the joys of eternity and the vastness of that concept of heaven, there's a great book, Heaven by Randy Alcorn. It's titled Heaven, and it's fantastic. It's a thick read. It's a really good read. If you don't like to read, but you like to listen, I have an audio version I will let you use. It is worth your time. It's about a 500, 600 page book. Great. It's worth your time. So, we see them coming to remember death here and they, they come with the mindset of remembering Jesus' life thinking, oh, it's over, but at least we can honor him in his death. And they get there and the tomb has been opened. And so I want you just to think for a minute. Think clearly. They show up and the stone has been rolled away. If you showed up to anoint a body you would be like, oh, how nice of the Romans to roll the tomb away so that we can get in. And that's what, that's what immediately goes through their brain. Oh, look, they're prepared for us to come. And they go in, and all of a sudden the body's gone. They go in to do their duty, and the body's gone. I imagine that they might have even had a bribe prepared to have the guards roll the tomb, to roll the stone away. They might have had something prepared for the guards to go, Listen, how about we slip you this 20? You, uh, you move that stone for us for about an hour and we go in and do our due diligence and then come out. Like, that, I imagine they even had something like that. They were ready. They're going as a group for safety's sake. And they go and the tomb is open. And they go, oh, this is nice. Isn't it nice? They've opened. Look at the, look at the trees around the tomb. Look at the... They've, they've kept it clean. Oh, this is nice. And they walk in and the body's gone. Now, now, just for a second, ponder what that's like. You have come to anoint a dead body, a dead body, and you get there and it's not there. And we know from the other Gospels that not only was it not there, but all the grave clothes are like folded neatly and put in place. As if somebody took them off and was like, I don't need these anymore. And just fold them. We'll leave them here for somebody else. Like that's what it was. The napkin is even folded in place. The thing that covered his face is folded in place and put neatly back. Weird. And so they walk in and they start to kind of ponder. I wonder how long that moment was, right? Where where it says right here. And they found the stone rolled away in the tomb, verse 3. But when they went... In, they did not find the body of the Lord Jesus. While they were perplexed about this, I wonder how long that perplexed was. I wonder if they're like, are we in the right tomb? Mary, can you check? And like she walks outside and it's like, yeah, yeah, this is the right A17. Yeah, this is the right one. You know, like, I don't know if they had like markers, but they, yeah, this is the one. This is where it was. I remember and Mary, the mother of Jesus is going, Where's, where's my son? Where is my son? And then Joanne, I was like, calm down, Mary. We'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. And somebody's on the phone. I don't go in calling the Roman guards. Excuse me. Uh, I need to speak to somebody on city council. Um, can't, there's, there's been a mistake. We've been told the wrong tomb or something. And they're doing all this. And look at what it says. 
This is fantastic. Look at what it says. Verse five. I'm sorry, verse four. And while they were perplexed about this, behold, two men stood by them in dazzling apparel. Get the image. They're kind of perplexed looking at the stone where he's supposed to be laid. Some were walking it out. And then just out of nowhere, there's two guys standing right next to them. I wonder if they were all looking at the thing. Like, if they're, if they're going, where is he? And these two guys show up and they're like, hmm, hmm. Why are you looking at the, why are you, like, like this is, what were they doing? They're not, because they don't show up in thunderclaps. Right here, according to Luke, they just kind of, they're just there. And they're like, hey. And they, they figure, these two guys figure out what they're doing. What the women are doing, and they were frightened. The women are frightened, and they ah, you know, they look down. I imagine one of them dropped the keys, like oh no, and they, you know, they kind of oh no, what's going to happen? And these guys in dazzling white clothes show up, and as the women are afraid, they turn to them and say, "Why, why are you seeking the living among the dead?" Like the attitude of these angels is not sympathetic at all. And this isn't a rebuke. Understand, this isn't, this isn't a rebuke. It's almost like, uh, you silly children. <laughs> like what? Why are you looking for, he's not dead. Didn't you pay attention to anything? Like that's what, that's what they're doing. They show up and they're like, why, why are you seeking the living among the dead? And the ladies are shocked. Verse 6, he is not here, but he has risen. And just for a moment, I want you to realize what's happened. These women who were remembering death, they were remembering that they were losing everything. These women who had lost everything show up at the tomb to do their religious due diligence, and then Jesus isn't there. And they say, he's not dead. He has risen. All of a sudden, the death that has overcome them for their entire life, the suffering and struggling, the the brokenness, the inability to do things, the the broken arms growing up, the the sin of the world that caused death and pain, the the slow decay of the body and the mind, the, the... I just think about everything that's encapsulated in death reign. In death's reign, elderly people who go through extreme dementia, people with cancer who are slowly dying. I knew a guy at the first church I worked at who came every Sunday to serve. He was a homeless man who joined our congregation, and he was rough, just rough, smoked like a chimney, just rough, cut. He would cuss constantly, and then he'd realize he was cussing and go, I'm sorry for my language. And it always came out, oh, I'm sorry for my effing language. And you'd be like, whoa, whoa, like, relax. But he was dying of cancer, and I watched as this man slowly decayed. And that's what the world has to look forward to. Death. And that's what they're remembering when they come to bring spices. And, and they come in, and all of that, all of that, all of that is overturned in this word. 
All of that is done. He says he's not here. He is risen. Death is defeated. All of that is thrown out the window. And now death is the entrance into eternal life. Now, when God brings us home, we go to an eternal living home. We have a living hope in Christ Jesus who has overcome death and sin. And all we need to do is to believe in Him, and then we will have life and life eternal. This is incredible. And they say, He is not dead. He is risen. And then they say, the two men say, remember how he told you. I love that line too, because that's, I need that all the time, right? Like I need this. There's a reason God tells you to take his word and wear it as frontlets between your eyes. Like it's because we need that reminder all the time. Don't you remember what he said? Don't you remember what he told you? Hide his word in your heart. All through the scripture, we have this reminder. Place his word in your heart. Meditate on his word day and night feast on his word you know the bible never actually says read the bible it doesn't actually say that it says feast on it it says feast on it It says meditate on it day and night it says wear it as frontlets between your eyes it says place it into your heart it says place it down deep into your soul in the amplified version of the psalms it says to wash yourself with it constantly it says to labor and it says to lay in it says to sleep and it says to rise in it it never actually says just read it There's one place where it says, read the Bible, and it literally says, read it out loud, and it's a command to the church for worship. Read the scripture out loud. It's the one thing that you're actually commanded to do in the scripture in a church worship service. You ought to be reading the Bible out loud at some point in the service. Right? This is is a powerful truth that we are to remember what he told us and then he says remember how he told you while he was still in galilee that the son of man must be delivered into the hands of sinful man and crucified and on the third day rise so these guys say remember the gospel message the son of man gets crucified and rises again it's the same thing that paul says that he preached the gospel to the people jesus christ came he lived a perfect life he died on the cross he rose again that you would have life this is the gospel message in its simplest and most beautiful and most authentic form that jesus christ died on the cross for your sins and rose again that you would have life and he's coming back this is it so he says they say these things to him and then verse 8 And they remembered his words and returning from the tomb. They told all these things to the eleven and all the rest. Now Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and the other woman, the other women with them, who told all these things to the apostles. Their words seemed an idle tale. So we've got first the women by themselves. They come to the tomb. Then they've got the women with the angels. And now we've got the women with the disciples And these two men have showed up and they go to tell the disciples, but not until after they've remembered his words. I tell you, sometimes we just need the reminder. Sometimes in our struggles and in our difficulties and in the difficulties we have in life, we just need our reminder. We just need to open the word and be reminded of what God has said. 
You know you can never read your Bible too much. You can never read it too much. It's, no one has ever said, you read your Bible too much. That has never crossed anybody's mind. I mean, maybe the atheist who's losing the debate might say, you read your Bible too much. But no Christian has ever looked at another Christian and said, you know, you spend too much time with Jesus and his his word. No. I would contend that atheists don't do that either. They look at you and they go, you know, I don't know why you live so differently. Because if you're really spending time in the word of Jesus Christ, you're changed. You're changed. And it changes everything about you. It makes the world go, I don't know why you look so different. And you go, well, because of Jesus Christ. And they go, no, that's not it. You're like, I told you why. This is, this is common. So, these women have remembered what Jesus has said. Sometimes we just need to remember likewise. And they go back and they tell the disciples, and it seems an idle tale. But Peter rose and ran to the tomb. Now, this is what's interesting, because Peter is also the one who ran away. So we can take great heart here in Peter's story. Peter is the one that ran away. Remember, and just a couple chapters ago, he's in the, in, the, in the courtyard with all the people, and they go, aren't you one of his? And he's like, I am not. And then, aren't, you are. You're a Galilean. Can you, you're one of his. No, I am not. I don't know what you're talking about. And then the third one comes, you are one of his. And then there's that moment when he sees Jesus look at him. And Luke records that Jesus actually makes eye contact with Peter when he says the third denial and the rooster crows. And then Peter, it says, fled in tears, weeping. Peter, the strongest leader among the disciples, the one who was going to take the sword and conquer the Roman legion that came to arrest Jesus, the one who told Jesus, Jesus, I will never deny you. The same one who rebuked Jesus and said, Jesus, you got to stop talking about all this death stuff. You're going to stop talking about all this death stuff. You're going to conquer and win. The same one that did that is this guy. Now, Jesus is risen and he runs to the tomb. And you remember in the Gospel of John, he doesn't do it alone. John goes with him. And John's certain that you understand that John got there first because he's faster. And Peter runs in. Braggadocious Peter runs directly into the into the tomb and sees the the grave clothes and everything and John and Peter leave going, wow, what do we do now? And they have no idea. But they're happy. No idea whatsoever. What do we do now? What do we do now? And so Peter rose and ran to the tomb and stooping to look in, he saw the linen clothes by themselves. And he went home marveling at what had happened. They had been told for three years that this was going to happen. They had been told for three years that this was going to happen. They had walked with Jesus. Peter had walked with Jesus for three years, literally walked with him. I don't mean as in like metaphorically, like he had a devotion every day. No, he walked with him next to him. He never left him. He was there all the time. They went to feast together. They partied together. They danced together. They had inside jokes. You understand how close these guys were to Jesus? They had inside jokes. 
Jesus could say a word like possum and everybody would die laughing because there was some story back when Peter tried to get a possum. Like there's all, all kinds of jokes and things and they are close and they're tight knit and Jesus has been walking with them. They know his character. They know who he is. They've been walking with him. They have even professed that he is the son of God, the Messiah who has victory over all things. They have even made that profession and Peter, Peter, The leader of that group, the leader of that group flees and forgets the power of Jesus Christ and is baffled. And then when Jesus is resurrected, even the guy that walked with him didn't know what to do next. He just kind of went, wow, and then went home. And we know from the other Gospels what they do. They sit in a room going, huh, what what do we do now? I don't know. What do you want to do? I don't know. What do you want to do? I guess we could eat something. Okay, let's eat something. And they sit for a while, and then Jesus shows up. And they're like, what? Jesus showed up? Jesus? And then they're telling each other about Jesus showing up, and they're like, Thomas comes in and is like, he didn't show up. I don't believe any of you. I think you're all nuts. And Jesus shows up to Thomas. Thomas is like, I'm sorry, Lord. Jesus is like, I know, it's okay. Then they sit in that room for a while. They don't know what to do. I tell you that, so you take heart and understand. It's okay to not know what to do. It's okay for you just to live and to be moving and to to just kind of Follow Jesus as best you're able and to not have a five-year plan and to not grasp every step that's going to come. It's okay for you just to obey and live. It's not always the best. Sometimes you need a five-year plan. Sometimes you need to know what you're going to do next. Sometimes you need to have career goals and paths and patterns. Sometimes you need those things. But I'm telling you, it's okay at times for you to go, I don't know what to do. Jesus is amazing. I'm going to wait. And sometimes you got to sit in an upper room with a bunch of other goofy people who don't quite get it. And Jesus is going to show up and he's going to give you some instructions and then you're going to have to go. And you're going to do the instructions and then you're going to have to wait again. That's okay. Even the disciples of Jesus Christ did not know every step they were supposed to take at every moment, despite the fact that they were told everything. Despite the fact that they were told everything. You don't have to have everything lined out. For the next 40 days, Jesus keeps showing up and walking in and out, walking in and out of their story. And they don't know until he shows up what he wants them to do. And so he keeps showing up and telling them. Likewise, it's the same with you and me. You will read your Bible constantly seeking guidance from the Lord and he will eventually give it to you and when he gives it to you act on it and obey but know that there are times when he has just put the word in front of you so you would know him so that you would know who he is so that you would be able to walk with him verse 13 in that 
very day, two of them were going to the village named Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. Let's pause there just for a minute and over here to the side. There's a theory. This is a side issue, but I want you to be versed and able to answer it. There's a theory that Jesus just swooned, that he passed out or that he, uh, that he was taken by his disciples and kind of nursed back to health. Now, um, that theory is ridiculous. Let's just throw that out there. It's ridiculous from the outset because medically, people who are crucified don't swoon. They die. And so he's dead. Now, you can go through all those things, but I want you to, to key in on this seven miles. Seven miles. I don't know if you've ever broken a toe and then tried to walk. You really think you could walk seven miles after being crucified? Three days? Three days? That's three days. He's been crucified. Three days he recovers and is able to walk seven miles with two guys who don't. He, evidently casually enough to where they don't even realize he's been hurt. Three. No, this is impossible. It's an absurd thing to say that Jesus Christ swooned or was nursed back to health. Those are both goofy and ridiculous. And if anybody ever asserts that to you, you should go, wow, how miraculous that he could walk seven miles after being crucified when I can't walk from my couch to the stove if I stub my toe. This is absurd. This, this is absurd. So that was just a note. You've got written in the testimony something that is impossible for somebody to do who is recovering from crucifixion. It's impossible. So he writes seven miles he walked seven miles from Jerusalem to Emmaus, and they were walking with each other and talking about all, they were talking with each other about all these things that had happened. And while they were talking and discussing together, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. I just want you to recognize the humor of Jesus Christ. These two men are talking, and Jesus decides, I'm going to show up in a form that they, or in some way, they don't recognize me, and I'm going to walk with them. I wonder how this looked, just like the tomb. I wonder how this looks. These two guys are walking, and they're talking about everything that's happened. Yeah, man, Peter said, and whoo, Mary, like, she was all about this. And Thomas showed up and talked about touching the scars. Like, that's weird. I wonder what the scars feel like. And, and Jesus just starts walking. Like, did he start walking behind them? Like, he's just kind of... You know, did he or did he show up like did he come out of a bush like, oh, OK, here we are like like a relay race. Like how did he how did he show up? He just starts walking alongside him. This isn't uncommon, by the way, this like this would be akin to like if you're driving a car and another car pulls up going the same direction. That's kind of what's going on here. The difference is they don't have cars, so they're walking. And this is kind of the highway. They're walking on the highway and they're going from one city to another, a pretty traveled, a pretty normal traveled road. And so it's not abnormal to see somebody and it's not abnormal to talk to them because I mean, what else are you going to do? So there's no radios. It's not like they're like, turn up the radio. This guy's weird. No, it's like they're, they're talking to each other. So they're, they're walking along and Jesus shows up and Jesus himself drew near to them. And while they were talking, discussing Jesus, drew near to them, drew near and went with them, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Now, that's a very key thing. Their eyes were kept from recognizing him. Jesus 
had a desire to walk next to his disciples unbeknownst to them. Evidently. Because who is it that keeps eyes closed but God? Who is it that can do that but God himself? I mean, you can close your eyes, but God is the one who hides himself when he's revealed. He's the one who reveals himself. He's the one who makes himself manifest and makes himself known all through Scripture. You see this. This isn't an abnormal thing. It's also not a miraculous thing. It's just the way that it is. And so Jesus is walking, but their eyes were kept from recognizing him. So for some reason, Jesus wanted to walk with them for a time without them knowing who he is. How often, this is a beautiful allegory for our own life. How often does that happen? When we have walked in life and we have thought that we were alone and we thought we were by ourselves and then we look back on our life and all of a sudden he's been with us the whole time. How often? Oh, every couple days for me. Lord, where are you? And then he's like, what are you kidding? I was right there. I was there. I was in that friend. I was in that place. I was with that. What are you talking about? (laughs) You're right. I'm sorry. Right. This is. Very real, raw prayers get proclaimed to God about, you have abandoned me in the Psalms, right? You've abandoned me. You realize God never abandons his children. Like this, it doesn't happen. But it feels like it sometimes. And in those moments, we're kind of like these two guys on the walk to Emmaus. And we're walking and he's right next to us. He's right with us. So they walk and... Verse 17, and he said to them, what is this conversation that you are holding with each other as you walk? Now, that sounds really weird. That, I mean, just because we're translating Greek. He basically said, hey, what you guys talking about? That's what he says. He doesn't, what is this conversation that you two are having as you walk? Like that's, you understand that the Greek doesn't translate to common English real well. Like Jesus walked up and went, hey, what are you two talking about? And they start telling him. And they tell him, and this is hysterical. So, Jesus, Jesus just asked them. This is the guy it all happened to. He just asked them. Look at it, look at it. What is it you guys are talking about? And then one of them, named Cleopas, answered him. Cleopas, not one of the twelve, but he's answering him. Cleopas answered him. And said, are you the only visitor to Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened in these days? And he said to him, what things? <laughs> what things? Like, the guy basically looks at him and goes, where have you been? Now, Jesus could have said, oh, man, I had a rough three days. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus could have looked at him and gone, oh, man. Last week was crazy. Let me tell you about it. I was, I was with some disciples. He was one of them. I was with some disciples, and that guy was there. The, not Cleopas, but the other guy. He was one of them, and he and he he ran away. Um, but we we had dinner, and that was fun. We had a good Passover dinner, and then there was this guy named Judas there, and I gave him the honored sop, and I pleaded with them to repent. I washed everybody's feet, which was kind of gross, but I did it anyway, and then. And then they, you know, I was trying to teach them a, a lesson about life, and, and they didn't get it, and they still won't get it. They're not going to get it until the next two books. But they, you know, they, anyway. So 
they go on and Judas turns me in and I went to the, I had this beautiful moment of prayer with my father, but it was, man, it was intense. I had to tell him, oh, it was hard. And then, man, my disciples fell asleep on me. The guards came and they tried to arrest me, which was funny because I just said my name and they fell to the ground and they had to stay there until I was done. And then I let, you know, I let them get up because it was my father's will that I would go before the cross. And, and then they beat me and scourged me and passed me back and forth from person to person. It was awful. It was really, really bad. And oh, man, I've had a week. And then I argued with Pilate for a minute about what truth was. And that guy, oh, oh. And then uh, they beat me, flogged me again. And then put a robe on me and, and mocked me in front of everybody. And then I had to carry this big 70-pound piece of wood halfway to the cross. And then they grabbed some random guy who hopefully will believe after this, who, who then carried it the rest of the way. And then I was crucified and nailed to a cross. And then whew, for the last three days, I've been, I've been proclaiming victory in the darkness and, and over all kinds of spiritual things. What have you guys been up to? Like, like he could have done that. No, what's he do? He goes, what things? Are you the only one in Jerusalem who hasn't heard about these things? What things? And he's like, what, what things are you talking about? And then they turn and say to him, concerning Jesus of Nazareth, a man who was a prophet, mighty in deeds and word before, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and rulers delivered him up to be condemned to death and crucified him, but we had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. Now, there's a little phrase there. We had hoped that he was the one to redeem Israel. They, I want you to understand, they have not lost any affection for Jesus. They have not lost faith in Jesus. These two men have not lost their faith or, or their love for him. They, they loved Jesus, and they still had faith in him. What they'd lost was hope. The hope of things unseen. Because hope is realized in the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It's realized when we grasp the resurrection. When we see what has happened. And they say, we had hoped that He was the one. We had hoped that He was the one. Yes, and besides all this, it is now the third day since these things have happened. Moreover, some of the women of our company amazed us. They were at the tomb, and this is what they were probably discussing, and they were at the tomb early in the morning, and when they did not find his body, they came back saying that they had even seen a vision of angels, a vision of angels who had said that he was alive. And some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said. Those women weren't even lying to us. That's what I, I think that's funny. This, it was found just like they said it was. Did you think they were lying? Like what? So it was found just like they said. And he said to them, verse 25, or I'm sorry, verse 24. Some of those who were with us went to the tomb and found it just as the women had said, but him they did not see. So these men are walking on the road and they're confused and Jesus starts walking with them and they say, are you the only person in Jerusalem who doesn't know about this? And they're talking to the one who it all happened to and he goes, what things? <laughs> what things? 
What happened? And then they tell him. And they give an inadequate explanation. They do not give a thorough explanation. Why? Because they don't understand yet the resurrection. And so Jesus turns to them and says, Oh, you foolish ones, and slow of heart to believe all the prophets have spoken. Note, this is not Jesus insulting them. This is Jesus, again, as he has done so often in the Gospel of Luke, using a rebuke term in a gentle manner. Oh, silly children. That's basically what he says. Oh, silly ones. You, you goofy little people. Like, what? what is wrong with you? And Jesus turns and says, Oh, foolish ones. Oh, you silly little child. And then he tells them, he says, Slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Look at what he says. He doesn't go, oh, foolish ones, don't you remember what Jesus said to you while he was talking to you? No, he says, listen, I've been talking about this since the prophets, since the beginning. Oh, you foolish ones, don't you understand the Bible? His appeal is to Scripture. Jesus Christ, in order to make his point about the resurrection, appeals to Scripture. Appeals to the Old Testament. And he goes through the Bible. He doesn't say to them, Oh, foolish ones, look at my hands and my feet. He says that elsewhere. Don't get me wrong. He says that elsewhere. But here with these two, he says, Look through Scripture and you'll find Jesus. Don't you understand what the prophets have said? That scripture is where he is testified to. All the prophets have spoken. We are slow to believe what the Old Testament says. We are slow to read it and understand that Jesus Christ is testified throughout. Look at verse 26. Was it not necessary that Christ should suffer these things and enter into his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he interpreted to them the scriptures the things, all the scriptures, the things concerning himself. So he walks through the Bible. What an incredible sermon. Now, it takes me about uh, 17 minutes to walk a fast mile. So, 17 minutes, let's say a slow mile, 30 minutes. 30 minutes to walk a leisurely pace at a slow mile. Seven miles. Walking with Jesus, thereabouts, somewhere around seven miles of walking with Jesus. Somewhere around three and a half hour long sermon. Three and a half hour long sermon. Some people complain that 50 minutes that I go is too long. <laughs> three and a half hours. He starts with Moses and goes through the whole Old Testament. Wouldn't you like to be there? Like, how awesome must that have sermon? It says all the prophets. He went through every prophet, evidently. So he goes through all of them. Wouldn't you have liked to have been there? Like, that's awesome. In fact, I think when we get to heaven, that might be one of the things I ask Jesus. Hey, can you just, can I just, can I just get a, a view into that talk? Like, 
I want to I want to see how you tied all that together because I've been trying to tie that in three and a half hours my whole life. You know, it would take me about twenty to get through all of the Old Testament. I've tried to go through the Old Testament in a breeze overview, and it took me five and a half hours. This is this is difficult. I've actually had a moment where I had a class full of people, and I I was like, I'm going to go through all of the Old Testament today. You guys buckle up. And we had to divide it into three days that were two hours each. So this is not easy. Jesus walks through three and a half hours, evidently, going through the whole Old Testament, explaining where he is in everything. And he didn't miss anything because Luke tells us all, all of the prophets. He evidently included every one of them. It's powerful and it's incredible. And he walks with them. So they drew near to the village which they were going in verse 28, and he acted as if he was going to go further. I love that phrase. He acted as if he was going to go further. Jesus doesn't bother arguing or doesn't bother telling them what he's going to do. He just kind of like he's, they start to turn off. And he's like, all right, we'll see you guys later. And they go, wait, 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 wait. It's getting late. Come to our house. And I wonder if they had to like persuade him. If he's like, I got work to do. I've been talking to you guys for three and a half hours. I got, I got work to do. And they're like, come to the house. Like if they had to persuade him. And he comes, okay, he acted as if he was going to further, but they urged him strongly saying, stay with us for it is towards evening and the day is now far spent. So they're concerned for his safety. They're exercising basic ancient Near Eastern hospitality. This was normal. This is normal behavior in the ancient Near East to say, look, it's late at night. The road is dangerous at night. So why don't you come, come to my house, stay in my, stay where we are, stay with us for the night. And then in the morning you can be on your way. Like, stay here. This is normal. It's basic hospitality. It's also kind of them. And so they, they offer this to him, and he went to stay with them. And I love that. Jesus does not have to stop and stay with them. He could have kept going. He could have kept walking. But he decides they haven't quite got it yet, so I'm going to go stay with them. And he goes and sits with them. And then, verse 30, the humor breaks out again. When he was at table with them, he took the bread and blessed it, and broke it, and gave it to them. One of these guys is probably one of the eleven. It's probably one of the disciples. Cleopas is there, and Cleopas at least knows the story of the Last Supper. And so they break, he breaks the bread and hands it to him. Can you imagine sitting with a guy that you're not certain who it is, You've been talking to him all day. Seems like a great guy. He understands the scripture like crazy. And you sit down across the table from him and he breaks bread with you and hands it to you. And in this moment, when he hands you the bread, all of a sudden, everything flashes through your brain and you go, one of you chokes. And the other one goes, and then he's gone. Then he vanishes. What just happened? What just happened? Okay, now, if you didn't get that closely enough, think about it this way. Let's say I'm gone. I've died, and you have some other preacher that has come to this church, and he's preaching. And then you sit down to lunch, and there's this weird guy that came to visit the church one day. And you sit down to lunch, and then you sit down across from me, and I hand you zucchini with turmeric on it. 
and some chicken from the Instant Pot. And we start talking, and you go, wait a second, and then I'm gone. Like, not, like, was he even in the room? Like, he's gone. And you're just holding the piece of bread. I just want you to grasp what's just happened in the story. They met with Jesus miraculously and he disappeared. This is amazing. Their eyes were opened and they recognized him and he vanished from their sight. And they said to each other, did our hearts not burn within us while he talked to us on the road, while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose at the same hour and they returned to Jerusalem. So these guys run back to Jerusalem. There's this constant running in this story. Right, these guys rise at the same hour. They're like, we got to tell everybody else. And they get up. Remember, the day's gone. It's nighttime. They are about to take a seven-mile walk back to Jerusalem to tell the disciples something that could have been said tomorrow. Right? No. No, the message of Jesus Christ is not something that can wait till tomorrow. It's not. It's not something that can wait till tomorrow. If you have the opportunity to tell somebody about the message of Jesus Christ, you can't wait. It's today. It's now. And they get up and they go back to Jerusalem. They tell the other disciples. They found the eleven and those who were with them gathered together saying, The Lord has risen indeed. This is why every Easter we say he is risen and you say. Okay, let's try that again. He is risen. That's right. He is risen. He is risen indeed. All right. Awesome. Um, say, the Lord is risen indeed, and he has appeared to Simon. So the disciples returned to him, and they go, yeah, Peter saw him too. And then they told what had happened to them on the road, and how uh, he was known to them in the breaking of of the bread in that moment when they break the bread and they remember Jesus Christ and they remember his body broken for them and blood poured out for them in that moment when they take communion together and they are handed the bread of life and Jesus all the symbols that come with that that's when they remember and that's when they remember him and that's why every Sunday we do communion that's why because we remember him And it seems like in the scripture we're commanded to do it as often as we can. It says, as often as you do this, do this in remembrance of me. We ought to be doing it often. And so, as a gathered body of believers, we do it every Sunday together. That's your brief overview as to why we do that. But but consider this. Every time that you break bread, every time you feast with a meal over Christians, what you are remembering is that the Lord died and rose again and that he gives you life and sustenance and sustains you. How beautiful is this picture and how much we, we desperately need to walk in communion together with him, recognizing that he suffered on our behalf and rose that we would have life. Oh, Father, We pray that you would glorify yourself in your people. That we could rejoice in your presence always. And that we would be reminded of what you have done and who you are. Lord, we love you and we trust you. Amen.
As we come to a time of communion together, if you are a believer in Christ,